welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we're discussing occupational licensing, a form of government regulation that requires a person to obtain a license in order to pursue a particular profession or vacation for pay. Nearly 30% of jobs in America require this permission slip, yet many states are pushing back, saying this places unnecessary and burdensome barriers on people just trying to earn a living. Joining us to talk about this is Nicole Fox. Nicole serves as Director of Government Relations at the Platt Institute. She joined the Platt Institute in 2017 after serving in the Nebraska legislature from 2015 to 2016, where she was appointed by the governor to represent Legislative District 7. During her time in the legislature, she passed Nebraska's first occupational licensing reform bill to exempt natural hair braiding from cosmetology licensing. This is one of the areas, occupational licensing, that she focuses on at the Platt Institute, and she has seen several bills to reduce the burdens of licensing cross the finish line in Nebraska. It is a pleasure to have you on, Nicole. Thank you. I'm so glad to be on today. Thank you for inviting me. So I gave a general overview of occupational licensing, but I think it would be good for our listeners to hear it from you. This is an issue where you work on a lot. Tell us the definition of occupational licensing and how pervasive it is in the country. Well, to me, occupational licensing in a nutshell, I think the best definition is a little bit twofold. First of all, it is, as you said earlier, it's a permission slip from the government to work. Um, secondly, it is a tax on workers because frequently with occupational licensing comes educational requirements and a variety of, of fees that one must pay um, in order to obtain that license. Now, of course, on the surface, when people hear this, they would say, well, people required to get training, people required to get a certificate. For a lot of occupations, I'd want that. I'd want that, let's say, from my doctor. So are you saying that these types of regulations need to be reduced as a whole, or it should just be limited to occupations where there could be harm to the person? Correct. So occupational licensing, back when it originally started, and we were looking at, at um, licensing those individuals, that it's very obvious that we want to protect public uh, from harm, um, such as doctors, we were talking maybe one in 20 occupations um, required an occupational license. If you fast forward to today, you see that approximately one in three, one in four, kind of depending on exactly which report you're looking at, um, one in three to one in four workers are required to obtain an occupational license. And what we're really seeing is, of course, when a group um, approaches their government official, whether you know it's at a local or a state level or, or even federal level, um, usually what they are saying is we want, we're trying to protect the public, um, but really what it is is either one of two things. It's a turf war, meaning um, you know, they want to be able to provide a certain service or you know, operate within a certain scope of practice and they're trying you know, essentially to shut um, others out. Um, I think the other thing, too, is that it's also, for some people, it's about profit. Um, because, again, when you are requiring certain occupations um, to, to obtain certain levels of education, 
those educational institutions are making money off of that tuition. So let's talk about some of the occupations where you think that this is a burdensome regulation. Maybe it's just because a union wants to protect their own workers. What are some of the occupations um, that require a license? How how are they supposed to obtain that license? And so just kind of give us the breakdown of how burdensome is for certain people. I think as far as uh, occupations that frequently require licenses. I mean, first of all, probably the one, one of the most prevalent is healthcare. And, you know, agreed that health, some healthcare professionals, definitely there could be some issues where um, we are worried about safety. We are worried, worried about training, but I think we're starting to see some things more for, again, um, groups of people are wanting to keep other people out. So, for example, something that we're seeing here in Nebraska uh, in the healthcare world would be things like art therapy and music therapy. So we've got individuals that, you know, that are already licensed as, um, say, either a social worker or a psychologist, but they want to keep others out and they want to make the practice or, you know, uh, or the, yeah, I'll say the practice, say, of art therapy or music therapy under their umbrella so that it forces people, you know, again, to attend school, to, to obtain accreditation that maybe is not very necessary. Um, another example would be the personal, what I would call the personal care services, and that would be like the cosmetology industry, um, massage therapy. We see very, very frequently where individuals are required to obtain extraordinary number of hours of education. So for example, in Nebraska, we have some of the highest requirements in the country. Well, actually we have the highest requirement in the country for massage therapy. We require 1,000 hours where the national average is about five to 600 hours. And so again, but you know, what we're seeing is the massage schools uh, that the industry is very much, um, or their boards are, are made up of school owners. Um, and so they are definitely protecting, protecting their financial interests. And, you know, people here in Nebraska that want to be a massage therapist have to essentially get twice as much training as what many states throughout the country require. Um, more specifically, yet here in Nebraska, we have uh, a group of women who are wanting to practice reflexology. Reflexology is an ancient art similar to hair braiding. And our licensed massage therapy uh, association is trying to keep them um, from practicing massage, or I'm sorry, practicing reflexology unless they have a license, a license as a massage therapist. And again, that thousand hours. Well, if you look at their curriculum, and I have looked at the curriculum over and over and over again to make sure I have not missed anything, there is no training for reflexology. And we have had reflexologists in our state that have gotten cease and desist orders from the Department of um, from uh, Health and Human Services saying, you know, you must stop practicing or we will charge you with a class three felony. And in Nebraska, in Nebraska, a class three felony um, could lend you up to four years in jail or a $25,000 fine. So yes, lots of red tape. 
My goodness. I didn't realize the felony aspect to that. And I've wondered with, so with the a thousand hours that you said, of course, it's not just the time, it's the cost. It's often asking people to fork out a lot of money in order for them to do something that they do well and, and preventing people from just finding somebody who wants to purchase their services. They provide it for them. If people aren't happy with their service, they don't have to go back. Um, how much money are people having to fork out? I know it depends on the occupation, but what would be the average cost for $1,000 of massage therapy courses? So in Nebraska, some of our massage therapy schools are charging well over $20,000 um, for the 1,000 hours that are required. and so, you know, again, if you look at other states, half, you know, half as much education, I mean, you know, so if we're talking $20,000, maybe if we could get our requirements down, they'd only be charging $10,000. So it's a lot, we, you know, we're talking a lot of money. And that doesn't include, again, some of the fees um, that they have to pay in order to then, you know, get the license to maintain continuing education. Because that's the other thing, too, is once you are licensed, then you have to maintain that license. And um, some professions, continuing education, if they're needing, say, 30 hours a year, and the average cost um, of a continuing education unit is, you know, $25, you do the math, it's, it's hundreds of dollars every year that these workers are being taxed just to be able to, not only to get into the profession, but then also to be able to continue to work. And the type of professions that are usually um, have to get some type of licensing, again, we can put the medical profession in its own category. We want people to be licensed in order to perform surgeries and practice medicine. But when it comes to some of these other crafts and skills, are you often looking at more low-income workers trying to get into these professions? So this is especially um, damaging to our low-income communities who want to use a skill that they do well in order to, to earn a living for themselves. Yes, it's, the research is out there. It's well known that um, oftentimes occupational licensing does hit those of, you know, a lower income level much more um, prevalently than, say, that, those of a higher income level. And that's another reason why it's so important to cut this red tape, because people, you know, part of what our country is about is for people to become more up upwardly economically mobile um, to provide an opportunity for themselves to have a better life, to be able to provide for their families. And when, when we are disproportionately creating burdens for them that, that uh, create, again, like these unnecess unnecessary uh, taxes on workers, um, that's, that, that's counterintuitive to, to what this country is about. So tell us about the victories, some of the victories you've had in Nebraska. What specifically were the reforms that were rolled back? And how were you able to convince the legislature that this was a positive thing for the state of Nebraska? Well, I'll kind of um, move back to, you know, the first, uh, the first occupation that we tackled here in Nebraska was hair braiding. Uh, to us, it was a no, you know, I, I personally sponsored that bill. To me, it was a no-brainer. This, this is, um, first of all, hair braiding is an ancient skill, it's an ancient art. It's been practiced for centuries. And why we need to require someone to go to cosmetology school when 
um, when I talked with people and, and I looked at the curriculum, hair braiding was not even covered. Um, I think, you know, again, I think just those arguments right there made it a no brainer. Um, also with that, starting a hair braiding business requires very low uh, capital. You can start, um, you know, it's, it's easy to, to, to start up a business like that. You don't have to worry about taking um, out a huge business loan. Um, so that was where it all started. Um, from there, we've tackled a variety of things. Um, we've tackled things like fee waivers. So those, you know, of uh, lower incomes, um, younger workers, we, uh, military, we've, we've done fee waivers for them. We've, we've tackled some unique occupations such as equine massage or horse massage. Uh, we had some women here in Nebraska that live in very rural parts of the state, uh, areas where there's limited, you know, limited just ways uh, to, to earn a living. And in, in that situation, they were going to be required, you know, not only to get a massage license, which obviously didn't cover horse massage, but that also they were supposed to obtain, you know, a veterinary license. Um, so obviously very, very expensive. Um, we found ways to allow cosmetologists and massage therapists at least to be a little bit more um, creative and mobile in the ways that they pursue services. So in Nebraska, at one point, you had to have a brick-and-mortar business, and now we um, allow them to operate uh, more mobily. Um, we did probably one of our biggest victories was in 2018. We did a what we call the Occupational Licensing um, Board Reform Act. And what this did was say over a five-year period, we have to review all occupational licenses in the state of Nebraska and look at, is it creating unnecessary burdens? Um, are we out of sync with other states throughout the country? And so as, and we just finished uh, year one of those reviews in 2019. So those reviews did bring forth some legislation here in our state. Um, for time's sake, I'm going to fast forward. Um, with the COVID pandemic, we have seen, as many other states have seen, um, some changes that we hope that will remain permanent. Our governor has um, allowed for some reciprocity for healthcare workers um, to address needs. Um, so, I, you know, if you're coming here from an, you can come here and work from another state and start working immediately. Um, we've also been, we uh, were successful in working with him to get um, some volunteer work uh, to be allowed. So, for example, if a retired nurse um, wanted to work, you know, go to a hospital because maybe there's a shortage of nurses because people are self-quarantining or, you know, they have, they've been officially confirmed to have a case of, of the virus, they can go to work and, and volunteer um, their hours and not have to worry about the liability. So we are seeing some, some you know, really neat ways to, to remove some burdens as a, as a result of the COVID pandemic. And we're hoping that when this is over, we can convince um, the state to consider keeping some of these changes permanent. And of course, some of that is going to be challenged. And so over this time, whether it was starting with the hair braiders to begin with, 
now to where we are with COVID-19. Who are the people or what what has the opposition been like? Because I know as, as we hear you talk about it, we think, oh, that makes sense. Why should somebody who wants to give a horse a massage need to get a veterinarian license? That doesn't make any sense. But yet you do face fierce opposition to this. What have you faced in the past and what do you potentially expect in the future? I think some of it is, well, I had to go through this. I had to go through the schooling and therefore, you know, you should too, which I think, you know, I think it's a very unfortunate mindset um, because to me, I see it as, you know, if I had, because I I am actually a, a licensed professional before I was um, doing, uh, before I was in the legislature and before I worked at Platt Institute, I was a, a dietitian, so I was registered and licensed, and I do maintain that license. Um, and so I think a lot of it is, yeah, I had to go through this, so everyone else should too. Um, in the healthcare realm, I think a lot of it is um, people are hoping that insurance will reimburse them. Um, So a lot of times when we have these groups coming in and they're wanting to um, be licensed, they are saying that um, they they want to be able to bill for their services. And they can bill for their services, but what it really is all about is that they're hoping that insurance companies will reimburse them. Um, And I know my conversations with with insurance companies is they don't like those types of mandates, and so they're fighting it. But unfortunately, the insurance companies um, have led help, you know, some of these healthcare groups, I think, to believe that if they get licensed, that that will help them get reimbursed. So I know that that is is one um, very uh, very big argument. And a lot of times, it's just instilling this fear. It's instilling fear of you know, the potential for harm. And I think what we really have to do to to counter that is to step back. And as you had kind of mentioned, you know, think about how we go about picking, you know, whether it's our doctor or the person that cuts our hair. I mean, we're looking at things like Yelp reviews or Google reviews, or we're talking to somebody, it's word of mouth. Um, If, you know, and so if I, see a certain professional, whether it's a healthcare professional or a personal care service professional, if I have a really good experience and develop a really good rapport with that person, um, when my neighbor, when my friend or my family member comes along and asks for a recommendation, I'm going to recommend that person. And the opposite is true if I have a bad experience. You know, if somebody comes to me wanting a recommendation for, oh, who do you see, you know, for your health maintenance or who do you see for uh, your haircut it's going to be that word of mouth whether or not I had a good experience or hey whoever you end up seeing don't go to this person because I had a bad experience right and we see that you've had such great traction in Nebraska but other states has well I know Arizona with their governor there has been pushing for reforms in this area and it it makes me wonder if there is a big trend of relooking at these laws because of our advances in technology. Has technology brought a lot of this to the service because people can do so much? And like you were even saying, we can go on Yelp and see reviews. It doesn't have to be just word of mouth. Word of mouth is is fantastic. My favorite form of figuring out who to work with. Um, But you can go online and figure this out. So is it partially because of technology that you even instituted into um, your laws in Nebraska to review this every five years? 
So now that you, you said that, my brain is, is, is going in a couple of places. Um, so first of all, yes, I mean, technology is a great way to communicate the services that we're willing to provide, um, and it's a great way to be more accessible. Um, so for example, I'll, I'll kind of go back to the COVID crisis or the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, one of the other reforms that we're seeing in a lot of states and Nebraska is telehealth because people are not mobile. We, we, we're needing to stay home. Um, so that definitely gives providers, you know, um, a, or it gives patients greater access to providers. Also, it can often be at a lower cost. Um, but then outside of the COVID pandemic, in Nebraska, where we've got a lot of rural pockets in our state where there's a lack of providers, it allows us a more cost-effective way um, to get care to them. Um, and I think also, too, with technology, um, you know, we do have, I mean, there is some gray area. And what I, and I, and what I mean by that is, for example, in my world of nutrition, um, it seems as though, you know, if I start up a blog post or if I post nutrition advice on social media, nobody comes after me. But if I decide to provide one-on-one -on -one personal nutrition counseling in my home um, or I decide to rent office space to do nutrition counseling and I'm not, let's pretend I was not licensed, the Department of Health and Human Services would be after me very quickly. So technology, I think, is very good as far as accessibility and decreasing costs, and, and also it provides a convenience factor. But technology also provides a little bit of interesting gray area, and I think um, it'll be, I, I think that might be something to be watching out for is are they going to try and go after those people that are, that are trying to do things, whether, again, it's through a blog or through um, social media and those types of outlets. So final question for you, if there is one of our listeners today, whether it's them personally or somebody that they know who finds that they're running into an issue with licensing, um, wanting to know whether or not they can start up their business, do you, any recommendations you would give to them to try to get help or find out more information? Most definitely. And I know here in Nebraska, we are, are very out there, whether it's on social media um, or just through the media, we have a lot of relationships with policymakers. Um, so yeah, I would say definitely, you know, if you are an individual that is concerned about that, you know, turf war, that gray area of here's my business model, my business idea, and I'm wondering, you know, do I really need a license to practice this? I'd say reach out to, you know, a, a local policymaking official, whether it's, you know, your state legislator, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of us out there that are in it and on both sides of the aisle, there's a lot of people out there realizing that some of these government regulations, the, the licensing requirements are, are doing more harm than good. And it's keeping people out of the workforce. And like you said, with COVID-19 and the regulations that have been rolled back for our healthcare professionals, I think it's going to become a topic of discussion even more. So thank you for yes. all the groundwork you have laid on this issue in Nebraska. It's definitely, I think, going to be helping other states as well as we hope that they follow suit. But Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me on today.
and thank you for joining us. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that during this time of uncertainty and unprecedented challenges due to COVID-19, it's more important than ever to show what America is made of. That's why Independent Women's Forum is highlighting American ideals of ingenuity, generosity, thoughtfulness, and kindness. From everyday Americans sewing masks and donating blood to companies providing free food and housing to those on the front lines, it's a beautiful reminder that we're in this together. Visit IWF.org or check us out on Facebook and Twitter and follow our campaign using hashtag in this together to learn more about the campaign. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.